have your Bibles this morning, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And I'll let you have a moment just to turn to Ephesians 6, and then I want to open the service in prayer. God is just a prayer away. Give you just a moment to find Ephesians 6. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. In just a couple of weeks, we'll, uh, we'll start breaking down really what the armor of God is in detail. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the agenda of our enemy. And we need to be prepared for that. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, I believe that there is an onslaught of spiritual attack against your people. Lord, we experience it as leaders in the church. We experience it as Christians, uh, as individuals, and as families. Churches are experiencing that this morning, Lord, across the world. And, and Lord, we know that we walk into this place and not a one of us is immune from the enemy trying to hurl darts and fiery arrows at us. Uh, Lord, we get hit sometimes. Um, Lord, I pray that the message today that I, I preach and speak would just be um, what you once said and nothing else. Hide me behind the cross. Lord, we've heard beautiful worship this morning that has taught theological truths. Lord, I pray more than anything else that we apply these words to our hearts, Lord, that we don't walk out uh, ignorant of what your word teaches and says to us, Lord. Lord, we pray for protection of your people. Lord, we know we've been sent out as sheep to the slaughter, and daily we're dying. But, Lord, we also know that the victory is ours through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Lord, that the cross of Christ has prevailed against uh, the satanic realm. Lord, that spiritually we are guarded, guided, and equipped. Lord God, that we are powerful beyond what we even imagine because of you. Even when we're weak, we're strong because of you. Lord, that we are always watched by you. Your eye is on the sparrow, but how much more so is your eye upon us? That we are special, that we are unique, that we are purposefully designed. And Lord God, that this morning I pray that what you have made us to be would come out. In spite of our failures, in spite of our flaws, in spite of the sins we may have committed this last week, in spite of maybe the poor things that we think about ourselves at times, Lord, that you would remind us that we are children of the living God and that we are powerful and as a body, Lord God, as your church, as the churches across this world that are united, the gates of hell will never prevail against us. That Satan may try, Lord God, but you win. You've already won. And Lord God, because of that, we as uh, just your progeny, Lord, as joint heirs with Jesus have won as well. I pray that you'd encourage us this morning, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. The Apostle Paul begins this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, <clears throat> by reminding us of some of Satan's strategies. And he says in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord. Our strength comes from the Lord. Be strong in the strength of his might. The pronoun there is of his, God's might. We can be strong. It's actually uh, achievable for us. We're to put on the full armor of God. It's God's armor that he supplies and equips us with. So that you, Christian, 
We'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That word schemes, I looked it up in the dictionary and I looked it up in the theological dictionary. The word themes or schemes means um, deceptive strategies is all it is. Satan uses strategies to deceive us. The theological definition that is in accord with this verse in Strong's Concordance uses a phrase that I've never heard before. Methods of travesty. Think about that phrase. I've never heard that before. Satan is methodologically scheming to cause travesty in your life, to cause harm, to cause deception, to cause pain, to cause weakness. We read in Genesis chapter 3 that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, that Satan came to them in the form of a snake. Satan and his demons work best when there is a physical presence through which they can work. It may be a person. It may be a thing. It may be an idea. Uh, it may be your tax returns. You know, we pay, we, we went to the uh, accountant the other day, and for the first time ever, we had to pay in. I'm like, man, devil, I hate you. You know, like, uh, I'm just joking on that. Now, nobody in the IRS is, is an agent of the devil, okay? Um, <laughs> maybe. Uh, if you work for the IRS, I'm sorry, okay? We still accept your charitable giving. Um, you know, Satan works so hard at trying to use people to hurt us, though. He really does. Um, it seems like it's flesh and blood, doesn't it, that is our enemy? It seems like it's people. It seems like it's uh, organizations or groups of people, but it's not. The Bible says over and over again that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against uh, the spiritual realm, demonic powers. Um, and he uses, the enemy uses physical vessels. He does use people, but he uses them to influence, to manipulate, and deceive. And in the garden, he chose a snake to do that, okay? So Satan is crafty. He's wily. He can do a lot of different things. He can come to us in forms that we might not expect. And uh, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Uh, obviously, a lot of times we're looking for the little red devil with the horns and the pitchfork. He doesn't show up like that. That's too ridiculous, right? Um, he doesn't show up as this great big fanged monster, even though in Revelation he's called the dragon. Um, we, we see those things. We fear those things. We don't go after those things. We run away from those things. Instead, he comes to us as things that we are tempted and lured to accept. And he exploits us through our mind, through our will, through our emotions, through our feelings, and even through our body. What I want to share with you this morning comes in three points. And the first point is Satan's agenda. Uh, what is Satan's agenda? Well, quite simply, to put it in one word, it's deception. He is desiring to deceive you. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us exactly who Satan is targeting in his schemes. Be of sober spirit. We all know that the opposite of sober is out of control, drunkenness. Uh, in fact, one of the fruit of the Spirit uh, one of the fruit of the Spirit is a self-control, right? So this is to be sober-minded, to be in control of what you're doing, to have this ability. Be of sober spirit. Be in control. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Who's he after? He says, your adversary, very specifically there. In other words, Satan is after you. He wants to overpower us. Listen, guys. Uh, he can do this in so many different ways through drugs, alcohol, relationships, sex, bitterness, 
hopelessness, discouragement, low self-esteem, depression, arrogance, codependency, whatever it is, Satan is trying to take believers hostage and make POWs of Christians to make us prisoners so that we're ineffective and not used out there to spread the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus. He wants to hurt our families, hurt our churches, and even destroy societies. He's after us to deceive us so that these things will happen. That's Satan's agenda. You know, Satan has a way of attacking us, and maybe you've experienced this. I bet you have if you follow Christ for any length of time. First of all, he'll attack you as an individual, but he won't stop there. Next, he'll move to the family. Do you remember what uh, Satan did in the garden through the serpent? He, he deceived, lied to, schemed with Eve. And then Eve went to Adam. And family under the, the subversion to Satan. Well, I believe that the family is the building block of all society. We know that to be true. But in Genesis 3.15, we learned that God will use the seed of man to bruise Satan. The spiritual battle is waged by the offspring, by children, by families. God told us to be fruitful and multiply, that families would come from the progeny of Adam and Eve. And to this day, we're all a part of a family. We have families, we have children, or we are children. We're a part of a family. Satan longs to destroy our families because if he succeeds, he can do more damage than simply destroying this present generation. He'll destroy what comes after us. You know, a lot of people say, uh, my parents' generation, my, my, my dad was born in 48, my mom was born in 54. Um, you know, that, that generation that came after and the generation before them, the great generation, and then the boomers that came. You know, uh, we hear about how things were, that people went to church, that it was just something that you did, that families were more straight-laced, that, that maybe they were more God-fearing than in the generations to follow. And it seems like we get further and further away from God, generationally speaking, and maybe that's true. I, I think in a lot of ways it is true. But the only reason why generations are getting further and further away from the Lord is because families aren't centering their lives on the Lord. We're not raising our kids up. As a, as a whole, as a society. Church is much less important. Just statistically looking at people who go to church, who claim to be Christians, it's not an important thing anymore for people. And so the less important God becomes, obviously the less God-like and Christ-like we become as a society. And Satan revels in that. Satan longs to destroy the family. By destroying the family, he multiplies his potential in destroying future generations. If Satan can get to your children, before you have the opportunity to mold them, shape them, he not only has influence over your home, but over the future homes as well of your children. Think about that. Um, can you control everything that your children do? No, you cannot. You know, one of my, one of my uh, men who instructed me in seminary, um, his son... He was a pastor of a church, this man was, and his son rebelled against that. And the church had to take disciplinary action and exclude his own son from membership. The other two children in that home were God-fearing. One was a deacon, one married a pastor, but the one son. And they were all raised in the same home. You can't always control how your children behave, but it is your responsibility to til still teach them and lead them in the proper ways. And so... Satan knows that if he can influence our homes, he'll influence generations to come. He'll corrupt our ability to raise godly children who live in obedience to Christ. This generational curse or cycle 
begins and then it delineates from there. The Old Testament is filled up with stories about how whole generations stopped following God. Listen, this is the truth. Whoever controls your family controls the future. If Satan with Christ's standards and the word of God, then you are turning them over to something else. Maybe it's worldliness. Maybe it's liberalism. Maybe it's the thought of what happens in school. Maybe it's something different. If Satan controls your family, he controls the future of your family, where they go, what you think, how you battle, how you lose, how you stand in fear all the time. I mean, so much is dependent upon what we do in our families when we leave the church. And even after the family, Satan is still targeting the church. You know, I heard somebody say, Satan no longer tries to keep people from going to church. Satan nowadays just joins the church, and he tries to corrupt from the inside. I think he does that. Um, Satan wants to split the family of God because God's work and involvement is reduced when we're disunited. When we're not united in the body, Satan has a field day. We must be genuinely humble and show the love of Christ to one another, starting in this family, the family of Christ. Fellowship in the body of Christ is based on our allegiance to Christ. Jesus is our standard, not anybody else. Our one unifying factor in all of this is Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4.3, we are told to preserve the unity within the body of Christ. You know why Satan seeks to divide us here? Because if we're ineffective in the church and we're God's plan A to carry the gospel to the rest of the world, if we live like the world and talk like Satan and treat people poorly, if we fight against each other and break fellowship and can't stand one another and we argue and gossip about one another inside the church, then what happens to our witness when we go out there? It is completely ineffective. People will say, well, they can't even get it right in there. They aren't godly. They don't look like Jesus. Why would I want to be like them? And so it's so important individually that we walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus. As a family, that we look like Jesus, teach Jesus, show Jesus, love like Jesus. And then as a church, we do the same things because all of this has an impact on our effectiveness in witnessing to the world. We know Satan's agenda is to deceive, and this is his strategy. Number two, Satan's strategy. One of the devil's main tricks is to cause you to miss the goodness of God. Listen, just like he did with Eve, Satan wants you to question God's goodness. Oh, God doesn't want you to have the knowledge, Satan told Eve. He doesn't want you to see like he does because he knows that you're missing out. He's, he's trying to keep something from you, Eve. And so Satan puts just enough truth into his venomous lies to make them believable, something that we think is right. Satan wants us to complain about what we don't have. He wants us to compare ourselves with others who have more than we do so that we'll lose sight of what God has given us. But God instructs us on how to counteract this scheme of the devil. The minute that you start thinking, <coughs> God's forgotten me, God's abandoned me, God's not answering my prayers, God's not good to me, God doesn't love me, God's not taking care of me, where are you, God? In all of these things, God says, go back to my word and remember this promise from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. Listen, he starts out there with something important. Be anxious for nothing. Guys, we're anxious all the time. We're stressed out as a people. We worry about everything. And he says, be anxious for nothing. 
Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with this great word, thanksgiving, we're to take it to our Father in heaven. Let it be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, all comprehension, will guard, that's a definite promise, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, and he gives us this list of what we're to think upon. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell or think on these things. How often do our minds immediately go to the most negative or the worst case scenario when we're thinking of things, when we're thinking of people? I'll bet they stole because they hate that person. Well, maybe not. You know, maybe, maybe it was a different reason. But we jump to conclusions so quickly. And that's not faith. God says, dwell on what's right, what's pure, what's holy, what's honorable. Think on such things. In fact, dwell, live on those things. God's God, God is guarding your heart and your mind, all right? Our heart is important. Our mind is important. A lot of times what we put into our mind affects how our heart functions. We have to be really careful. What we put into our mind affects how we talk about people, whether it's positive or negative. If we dwell on things in our mind that are positive and praiseworthy, then what will come out of our mouths, what will come out of our hearts is the overflow of goodness. And so we win victories by starting with praise and thanksgiving to God. Satan, his deception wants us to think and dwell on the negatives, what we don't have, what prayers God hasn't answered, what other people possess, and where we're bitter and hurting. But truth exists within the goodness of God. Guys, we have to focus on the truth, and so many of us, I'm afraid, myself included, we don't even open our Bibles up throughout the week. We want to know what God wants for our lives, and we want the truth, and we want to be victorious, and we want to be strong, and we want to be blessed, but we don't even open up the source to find out how and when and why God wants to do those things through us. And so we live in defeat so often because we're not seeking him, and Satan exploits that. We don't want to live with the regret of only realizing who Satan is too late. So be alert. There are four strategies in Satan's, or four stages, I should say. Four stages in Satan's strategy of spiritual warfare. And here they are, okay? We see this kind of walking out through Scripture. One is desire or lust. We all have desires. Good desires are of God. God gives us desires as human beings. I mean, desire in itself is not wrong. It's like money. You know, money's not, money's not evil, Don't misquote scripture. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money in itself is completely neutral. You can do good things with money. You can help and be charitable and give and bless people with money. Or you can be greedy with it and steal it and and do wrong things with money. The same thing is true with desires. It's how your heart uses desires, whether they're good or bad. But a corrupted desire is called lust. When desire turns into temptation, it becomes sin. Desire for things such as food, sex, sleep, they're all good and natural desires, God-given even. But Satan wants to pervert our desires and turn them wrong, turn them inside out so that they become not just a desire for food, but a desire to overindulge. And we call that gluttony, the sinfulness of gluttony. 
or not just the desire for sex, which God has designed within marriage, but what we do with all kinds of immorality. That's what Satan wants us to do. Not just for sleep, but what Satan wants to do to pervert that good desire is to make it into laziness. He wants to affect how your desires are used. He wants you to misuse good desires so that they become bad things. He wants to exploit your desires because Satan knows that if he can control your desires, you know, we have, a, we have a, a little fish bowl in our home. That fish is completely and utterly dependent upon us cleaning its bowl out from time to time and feeding it food. In fact, it looks to the fact when we turn on the kitchen sink, it's right above the kitchen sink on a counter there, that it f- swims to the top and it starts swimming around looking for food. That thing is completely dependent upon us. We have complete mastery over that fish. If we were to not change that fish's bowl or to feed that fish, it would die. Satan wants to be the one who exploits you to the point where you are completely dependent upon his desires, what he gives you, what he feeds you, what he tells you. But no one can serve two masters. That's what the Bible teaches. Our mastery is completely dependent upon God, but Satan wants to take those desires and turn them around and pervert them. So the number one stage how Satan will affect you is through your thoughts, through your desires, what you do with those things. Secondly, it's through deception. A great illustration of this is how a fisherman catches a fish. You never see a fisherman just take his line out there and throw a hook in the water. A metal hook that's floating in the water is not going to attract a fish. Maybe, maybe, uh, hey, listen, I've laid a, a, a hook in the water and seen a perch in my grandpa's pond bite the hook because they're hungry for anything that's at the top. But most of the time, you're never going to catch anything on an unbaited hook. Satan knows that. He doesn't throw unbaited hooks at us. We don't avoid those. We see that coming. But what he does is he puts something very enticing to us. For the fish, you put a worm on the end of that. You trick the fish into thinking it's getting a tasty meal. He uses this foot-in-the-door technique, too. He diverts our attention to something else so as to get into our lives little by little. You know the old, uh, we don't have them. Well, yeah, we still do have them. Uh, door-to-door salesmen. You ever had somebody like, no, thanks, I don't want any, and they put their foot in the door? You're like, you better get your foot out of the way or I'm going to crush it. I don't like that technique, by the way. But if you can do something to get a little bit of wiggle room in there, to keep the door open, you keep the conversation alive. Maybe you can still hook them. Satan does that all the time with us, y'all. He does this by planting the sinful idea in our minds, just like he did with David in 1 Chronicles 21. You know, 1 Chronicles 21.1 says, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now, I want you to understand in context David was about to take a census of his people that God did not ordain or ask for. David wanted to know how powerful he was, how big his army was, how mighty he was, because he was going to use his own power. He, he took his focus off of God. In fact, he directly disobeyed God in 1 Chronicles 21. He said, I don't need God anymore at this point as king. And as a result, David disobeyed God's instruction. 70,000 Israelites wound up dying because of David's folly. 70,000 people. That's about the amount of people that live in Fort Smith, Arkansas. An entire number of people were wiped out because David believed Satan. He believed the puffed-up deception that I'm the king, I'm the military leader, I'm the strategist, I'm in control. Satan does that to us all the time. 
The third stage in Satan's strategy, desire, deception, is disobedience. Get this. Wrong desires deceive us. When we're deceived, we disobey God. Man, it's a smoking game, a mirror game that Satan plays with us. James 1.15 says this. This is how it starts. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now, get this, guys. Desire is not sinful. All right, some of y'all are thinking about uh, uh, the Mexican restaurant right now, right? I know. You want some tacos carne asada, right? I know, right? Desire for that stuff, man, that's not bad. You go over there and you eat 20 of those things, that's bad, right? Um, There are so many good desires that Satan seeks to exploit in your life, and that's why you have to stand firm and be alert. You have to constantly keep your focus and gaze fixed upon Jesus because Satan's trying to take the good desires and to turn them into bad desires so that he can get you to disobey God. Philippians 2.13 says this, It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Ultimately, we're victorious as Christians when we're most intimately connected to Jesus. Listen, when I'm most intimately connected to my wife, when I spend time with her, when I communicate with her, when I talk to her, when I'm with her, I'm going to be prevented, if I were, to have an evil or perverse desire to spend time with or talk to somebody else. I mean, that's just a poor example. But the same thing is true with God. When we walk closely with him, when we talk with him, when we spend time with him, when we're intimately connected with him, we are more prone to avoid the evil that is out there that's trying to vie for our time and attention and love. The fourth stage is this. Desire, deception, disobedience. The fourth stage is this, death. You know how James 1.15 ends? It starts with, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. But it ends this way. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof leads to death. Guys, we don't have it all figured out. We need God's help. Satan's trying to kill us all the time. He's trying to kill our testimony. He's trying to kill our joy. He's trying to kill us physically as well so that we're no threat to him. When we live in unconfessed sin... We break fellowship with God. Some of us right now are trying to live victorious Christian lives, and we are born-again believers, but we refuse to confess the sin that exists in our lives. Satan is using that sort of thing to make us ineffective believers. Man, I can't tell them about Jesus when I've got so much junk in my own life. I can't really worship or sing songs of praise when I've been thinking these lustful thoughts all night. When we wander this path apart, from fellowship with God, what happens is even as believers, we get lost. We get discouraged. We get depressed. When our lives are missing intimacy with Jesus, what happens is we linger in this state and we question and doubt the promises of God and the goodness of God. I'm not going to ask anybody, are you there? But guys, when we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and we've stopped living to glorify him, when it becomes about us, when we're deceived and disobedient, man, we stop it with Jesus. And we start wandering the state where we're listening to the enemy, we're walking away from God, not with God, and we get depressed. We get anxious about everything. We worry. Uh, We get overwhelmed. When you live this dejected life, you, listen, you just won't bring God glory. 
It's not your desire in that state to bring God glory. And you're certainly not going to tell people about Jesus. And so a lot of times what happens is when we get to this road, we start blaming God for everything that's gone wrong. The good news is this, and this is where grace steps in. We've talked about Satan's agenda and his strategy, but this is Satan's bane. This is Satan's downfall. Satan's downfall is the Christian who lives in light of Jesus every day. And I pray to God that's you and I. Satan's agenda and strategy reach so far, but he's already been defeated. He knows that. He's like this octopus that's just flailing its arms about, seeking whatever he can grab, whoever he can pull down with him. He's going down. The ship's going down, and he's just urgently trying to pull anyone and anything that he can get his hands on with him. They've already lost any advancement. This is where rubber meets the road, and this is probably the most important part of this sermon. Any advancement that Satan or demons make in your life or on this earth is because they've been given permission to do so. I want you to know this. Satan is not in control of God. God is in control of Satan. Satan is a dog on a leash, and we wonder why that dog can still do much, so much carnage and destruction and devastation. But he's still on a leash. God is in control. Satan can't overpower or outrun God. Satan isn't the dog that's pulling uh, God along behind him. God's in control. But in our own lives, have we given permission, the pow- have we given permission and power for Satan to come in? Essentially, demons, the demonic force, needs permission from us to bring hell to us. And you're like, okay, this is stuff we normally don't talk about, we normally don't preach about, so I want you to listen just for a couple more minutes, all right? Don't tune out. The demonic realm, Satan, demonic powers, when you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, you are filled with the Spirit of God. There is no room within you so that you can be demonically possessed, all right? You you can be demonically attacked, but as a child of God, redeemed, born again, your soul belonging to him, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, there is not demonic possession of your body that he can take over. But he constantly whispers. He constantly shoots at you. He constantly attacks you. Where our minds get deceived is when we start listening to those voices and those whispers. We start doubting ourselves, hating ourselves, looking around, comparing ourselves to others who might have seemingly more than we do or who are better or more talented than we are. We start listening to those lies that uh, your spouse doesn't really care about you. It's okay to window shop and look around. It's okay to have those lustful desires. It's okay to pull up that stuff on your computer. It's okay to watch those movies. It's okay to believe those believe those lies about your sexuality. It's okay to gossip about those people. It's okay to be angry and bitter. It's okay to feel depressed. And we believe all those lies because our world's constantly telling us those things. But those aren't the truth. Listen, if hell is happening in your life, it's likely because hell has been given permission to do so. We often lay the welcome mat out for the enemy to come into our lives and into our homes and into our churches because we haven't kept our guards up. Believers, we haven't kept on the alert. We haven't watched. We haven't paid attention. We yield to Satan's strategies. Some ways that we communicate this are when we say or think things like this. And I just wrote down, I think, six things here, okay? These are just thoughts, and we don't really say these things. They're not publicly ways that we speak them. But listen, hell It's okay for you to rule my mind. 
It's okay for you to rule my emotions. It's okay for you to rule my will or my body. You might say, I hate myself. I'm so stupid. I'm a failure. And you keep repeating those things. I'm so ugly. I don't have any talent. I don't, nobody likes me. You know, and you believe those things. Guess what happens next? How many people kill themselves or commit suicide because they've given, mint, they've given heed or, or credence to those lies that the enemy's telling them? They give up. They're defeated. They stop listening and focusing on the truth. They stop seeing the positive in the light. They stop dwelling on the pure and the holy and the righteous. And eventually, because those things seem so true to them, they've been so deceived, someone will kill themselves. And they don't think their life values or matters anymore. Satan takes a seed and he plants it. And guys, he will water and tend and cultivate that seed. And, and that seed will grow. All seeds grow. They either grow for something good or they grow for something bad. You can have a rose bush or a weed spring up. It's whatever planted there and taken care of that grows. You might say, hell, I give you permission to tell me I'm not really a man even though I was born a male. Or I'm not really a woman even though I was born a female. And you say, God, you made a mistake with me. You really aren't omnipotent and all-powerful. You don't know what you were doing here. I know better than you, God. And Satan comes in and deceives our minds and tells us a lie. You, you might say, I give you permission to tell me that constantly watching pornography won't hurt anyone. It's completely okay because it won't affect me in other ways. Guys, there's a porn problem in our churches, not just in our world. That we, we look and we linger on things and it, it affects our view of women even if we think nobody knows about it. It affects the way that we treat our spouses and, and, and how we live and how we look and, and conceptualize and perceive other people. And, and Satan just takes a seed there. You may say, I give you permission to tell me that I want drugs or alcohol. I need drugs or alcohol. I can't stop using drugs or alcohol. I wouldn't be able to function if I didn't have those things. And that's a lie from Satan. You aren't codependent on anything. We're supposed to be completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit of Christ. And yet sometimes it's the stuff that has the pull on us rather than the Spirit of the Lord. You might say, I give you permission to tell me that I should wake up depressed, stay depressed, and go to bed depressed. Now listen, nobody is saying these things out loud. But constantly, the desires are leading to deceptions that are leading to disobedience that are leading to death spiritually. we got to be careful. You might say, I give you permission to tell me that I can't control my anger, I can't control my spending, I can't control my desires, that I'm not loved, and that I'll never amount to anything of significance. Satan tells us that stuff all the time. Everyone in this place has been told those things. You don't have control. You can't stop it. You can't change it. You can't fix it. Nobody likes you. Nobody loves you. You'll never get that job. You'll never make that much money. You'll never have a healthy family. You'll never think right. You'll never be smart enough. You'll never be whatever. Satan exploits those things and pulls us further away from the Lord who's telling us my promises are good and true for you, my child. Satan has great power. We don't want to underestimate it. It's Satan and his demons' full-time occupation to affect and attack us to lie to us, to whisper at us, to shoot arrows at us, to come against us, to try to pull us away, to try to hurt us, to try to break apart families, to try to break apart churches, to try to destroy societies. He's doing it all the time. The list could go on and on. Satan operates by consent and cooperation. Listen to me. I'll say that again because I think it's important. I think it's true. Satan operates by consent and cooperation. What are you doing in your life right now that is inviting the devil in in some way? Is it believing those lies and those thoughts? 
Is it watching that stuff, visiting those places, taking that drug, misusing that prescription, speaking ill about that person, believing negative things, watching the wrong thing? I don't know what it is. Flirting with that person, who knows? The way you spend your money, what is the hook that Satan has put bait on and has dangled before you that you're constantly biting on? He's targeting us. Once we comply, Satan often makes himself at home. (coughs) Satan and his demons set up camp. They're not impossible to drive off. God can do anything. But they're tough. I think Satan wants you, maybe even this morning, to dismiss and laugh off the demonic in the spiritual realm. I think he wants you to think, man, I'm taking this to seed. I'm a little bit too crazy on this stuff. Maybe you do think that. But it's no joke. Satan talks about hell, or Jesus talks about hell a lot more than he talks about heaven in the New Testament. Because hell is a real place. It is the, the domain of the departed souls that do not have fellowship and eternal life in the presence of God. Satan and his demons live there. That's a real place. And people are dying right now across this world and going to that place because they don't have any faith or hope in Jesus Christ. Now, guys, we are born again and redeemed. Our souls belong to the Lord. But Satan's main strategy is to get you to live an ineffective, invaluable, unused life and to never share that gospel with anybody else. If we'll laugh at the spiritual and the demonic, what will happen is um, we'll focus only on the physical and what we can see. We're not to walk by sight but by faith. And when we do that, when we walk only by sight, we fail to address the spiritual root. We'll forever be fighting the wrong battle with the wrong weapons. And it's hard to win a war when you don't even know where to show up for battle. You know, one day I was at the University of Arkansas and I was walking to campus. I was walking across campus, and I was going to my class. I was going to my history class, I remember this well. On one of the streets near one of the um, uh, food vendors that they have there on campus, there were set up those uh, orange and white uh, barricades that they set out across the road sometimes when you're not supposed to go on that road. And these were kind of moved over to the side, but there were two or three of them, and they were kind of in this angle. And I was walking up, I walked over a hill, and I walked up, and I saw this man, this young man who was blind, and he had his, his stick, his walking cane, whatever it was, and he was trying to guide. And he had gotten into these barricades, and he, he could not figure out what was going on. And there were some people sitting over there laughing at him, sitting on the wall, and it bugged me so bad. And I went over to him, and I walked in, and I moved that barricade and opened it up, and I said, hey, I'm coming up to you. I, I said, listen, there were some barricades that were set here. You're free to walk on through now. And there's the curb right over there. And I walked him over to the curb. And I think about that. That man couldn't see. And there was something that was set before him that he was unaccustomed to. He couldn't feel the curb. He was blind and he was kind of helpless. And there were people that sat over on the sideline that had some means of helping and doing something right. And they didn't do anything at all. And I'm not bragging on myself because it just burdened my heart and broke me to see, man, if I were in that situation, if I lost sight of my eyes and couldn't see and I was in something unfamiliar and un, un, unaccustomed, would somebody help me along? Listen, I'm telling you this stuff because there is a spiritual battle that is real, that is going on, that is raging around you. And you may not be able to completely comprehend and understand why 
you feel that way, why your spiritual life feels like a roller coaster. It's not because necessarily that you've done anything wrong. It's because there's an enemy of your soul that is after you, attacking you, and trying to affect you, trying to corral you, and he's laughing at you all the while because he's rendering you ineffective. Christians, we do not have to live that way. We can live from victory. We will still experience downfalls and pits and things that are bad in our lives. For the most part, we can live from this victory that Jesus has purchased for us. Our God is not bound by time or space. He owns the battle. He's already won this battle. Jesus proved that the victory was won by, after dying, raising to life. He's right now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. He's got angels that are fighting. He's got his spirit living within you. Guys, we have so much untapped potential, so much power, so much authority, and yet we don't use it. I tell you that because I tell you it's fully within your grasp to live a greater, more victorious life for Jesus than maybe you're living right now. It starts by confessing your sin, seeking the Lord, drawing close, daily putting on your armor, and walking in the light of Jesus. And we need to do this as a church. Stop believing the deceptive, destructive lies of the enemy. He's led us so far apart. Stop disliking and even hating the people within your own church. Love, help, Study the word of God. Be in prayer. Learning and living by God's strategies is the key to overcoming Satan. Would you pray with me? Lord, I know right now in this place that there are some folks that are uh, living a lie. Let's just be honest, God. I try to sugarcoat so much stuff and not call sin, sin, but there's some people in here today, Lord God, who, um, and we've all been there, so I'm not saying I'm pointing fingers, Lord, I'm just saying, I know some of us are caught up in the lion's jaws, and he's dragging us away from what's good and right, and we're scared. Some of us are so codependent on stuff, or things, or images, or videos, or chemicals, Lord God, that we're rendering ourselves completely ineffective and useless. Some of us are so afraid that we're going to let somebody down or that they won't like us that we're not focusing on what you want at all. Some of us, Lord, have been so beaten down that we're like a dog that cowers. We don't do anything at all anymore. God, I wish that we could see Jesus right now in his glorified state, to see how beautiful and how powerful and how wonderful he is. And I wish, Lord God, that we could see with spiritual eyes how authoritative and strong and beautiful and righteous we are in Jesus as your children. God, I wish that we knew how smart and how gifted and how talented and how full of ability and how spiritually guarded, how watched over and protected, how loved, how strongly we're held in your hands, how close we're held to your hearts, the truths that are spoken over us. I wish that we could know and believe and see those things, Lord, that we wouldn't walk out into this world falling, that we wouldn't be so easily deceived, that we wouldn't be corrupted and corrupting others. Lord God, that we'd live in the light of Jesus Christ and that we'd share that every day with somebody else. Because, Lord, we know that apart from Jesus, this world is on a path to hell. And at one time in our lives, we were there too, God. But thank goodness that somebody 
How beautiful are the feet of those that are sent. Somebody came to us. Somebody invited us to church or told us the good news. Somebody stepped in. Somebody was brave and courageous enough to talk to us about Christ. And then thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit worked to convict us that we aren't all good, that we aren't all right, that we don't have all the answers, that we need help. And that you convicted us about our need for a Savior and of our forgiveness for sin. And thank God that you sent your son Jesus to die on that cross so that all of this could be made possible. That if we'll only confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, believing in our hearts that you've raised him from the dead, that if we tell you that we're sorry for our sins and mean it from a heart of faith, that everything changes for us, that we are moved from the dominion of darkness into the beautiful kingdom of light, that we're forever your child, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that no one can snatch us out of your hand, that the enemy will attack us, but we're Christians, that we're born again. Somebody needs that, Lord. And then as Christians, Lord God, we are called to be holy as you're holy not to limp around this life for the rest of our lives. Lord, to walk in victory. Well, we need this so badly. And we pray today, God, that you'd affect hearts. If we're not in the right place, that you draw us to yourself. Lord, if we need help in some way, that we'd call upon you, the one who's able to help and heal our souls. If we know of somebody that's trapped in the spiritual battle, they're trapped in addiction, they're trapped in hurt, they're trapped in pain, they're trapped in whatever it is, Lord God, or their family's being ripped apart by the enemy, that we would take it on ourselves to get in this altar and intercede for them as though it was all dependent upon us for prayer, to pray for them. We know the answer lies with you. Lord, let us not be lazy and go to sleep on this. There's a spiritual battle. There's a real enemy, but you're our real God and victor. So work in us and honest, Lord. In Jesus' name, we ask and pray all of this. Amen.